Good morning. Uh, welcome, fellow Scots. Um, what a glorious, crisp fall morning for homecoming, uh, right? Uh, Steph and I were talking on the way over, and I, apparently both of our um, canine friends in our homes are going a little bonkers because of the cool weather. Um, so I don't know how that translates to you, but, um, but welcome. Uh, home, homecoming, home can oftentimes be a place of, of reminding, right? When we go home to our, our childhood homes, we're oftentimes reminded of, of who we were, um, how we've become the people that we are, and we know that our Lord wants to speak to us as we are here right now. So let's just take a moment and ask Jesus to speak to us sitting here in this place together. Uh, Father, we know that you love us, that you are fond of us, that you like us, and that you have words for us to hear. Will you please, by the power of your Holy Spirit, speak those words to us that we might hear you and be changed, be transformed to be more like your son, Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. So Henry Nouwen tells a story in, uh, in one of his books, The Road to Daybreak. It's a, a series of journal entries while he spent uh, time at La Arche in Trosley, France, uh, a home for severely mentally and physically handicapped people as he was kind of trying to figure out what um, his vocational call was towards his later years in life. And there's this one story he tells about a, a man who lived there named Daniel. And Daniel was a, a severely uh, handicapped man um, and, and intensely private. Um, he rarely invited people into his room and he rarely joined in the group activities. Um, and Daniel lost his father. And as the um, home came around him to care for him, uh, he did something that he was not normal for him to do. He invited everyone into his room. And so a dozen of them go in, um, other uh, folks who lived in the home and then the caretakers uh, went into his room. Twelve of them are in there. And Daniel lit two candles and put them down on the ground. And uh, one of his brothers, Pepe, went and grabbed a photo of his mother who had died recently and came and laid it down uh, as kind of a show of heart solidarity with Daniel. Um, and then they began to pray. So the 12 of them in there got to pray over for and with Daniel for him for his family and his grief and in his loss. And while it's a little on the Catholic side, somebody showed Daniel a picture of, of Jesus. And he said, Daniel, do you know who this is? And Daniel said, it's Jesus, the hidden one. And I like that just to sit as the soil for this next text. We're gonna look at a passage that I think is good for us to come back to to be reminded of on a regular basis. It's one that, that I constantly come back to, and it's beautiful because it, it's richer, different, perspectively beautiful in different ways each time we come to it. But here's the text. It's in Matthew, Mark chapter 4, if you want to um, follow along. But the context is this. Um, Jesus and his disciples have been traveling Galilee, and Jesus has been performing miracles He's been slowly revealing himself to the world. He's been doing things that only God can do. Curing people with paralysis, casting out demons, making sickness go away, even speaking control over weather. So they're on this boat, and they come across the water, and they land on the shore in this small town in Galilee, and the people have heard 
that Jesus is coming. So they start to come down to the shore. A crowd of them gathers around. As they gather around, Jesus and his disciples come off of the boat. And when they come off of the boat, the crowd kind of pushes in and gathers. Not sure exactly what they thought they were going to see. Not sure if what they saw met their expectations. But one man kind of pushes through this crowd of people. His name's Jairus. Jairus is a synagogue ruler and he comes and he places himself at the feet of Jesus and he says, oh master, please, if you can help me. My daughter is sick and she is dying. Can you please come? And so they start to walk and they're walking to Jairus's house. The crowds are pushing in around. I don't know if you've ever, have you guys ever been around someone who's so famous that everybody just kind of wants to catch a glimpse, even though they know they're not gonna be able to talk to them. They kind of just want to see them, right? This is like the first century version of that. But they're walking through, this crowd is gathered around, the the disciples are there. um, And as they're walking, Jesus encounters a woman. And it's a wonderful and crazy and delightful story. A woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had, had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but instead had become worse. So in the midst of this crowd of people, there's a woman. No one would probably know her to see her, but she's got a story. First off, she is doing something crazy, courageous, brave, desperate. She's had an issue of blood, hemorrhaging. Scripture calls it literally a fountain of blood for a, over a decade. So think about this, just context, right? Or, or uh, perspective. Imagine that you have a, have a wound on your face and it's a seeping heat, it's like a, 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 a seeping wound. And you got it when you were like 15 years old, right? And it kind of set you as a bit of a social outcast. One year you go to the doctor, two years, three years. You're 18 now. Now you're 19 and 20, you're still going to the doctor and it's still seeping. And the cash that you're laying out to the doctor is not helping. And your parents are putting in as much as they can. You're going to specialist after specialist after specialist. 10 years later, you've still got this huge gaping wound on your face. How it affects the way you see yourself, how it affects the way that others see you. And at this point, all of your parents' money is gone because they've paid everything they can. The doctors haven't helped, and and in all honesty, it's actually only gotten worse. This poor woman has been living as an outcast for 12 years. Can you imagine what it would be like if when you had COVID, right? Just a small example. If you had COVID, everywhere you walked, you had to yell, carrier, COVID, COVID, right? That was actually how she had to live her life. If she was going to go into public, if she was going to be around people, she would have to identify and yell and identify herself as unclean. The unclean is among you and it's me, right? Well, she, just like Jairus, had heard that Jesus was coming. And she inserts herself into this crowd 
And scripture indicates she did not yell unclean. Instead, after hearing about Jesus, she decided, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. It's so interesting. What did she hear about him that made her believe that? Did she hear about the paralytic that he raised from, from his paralysis? Did she hear about Jesus casting demons out of people? Did she hear about the storm that he calmed? Maybe she didn't hear any of the stories. Maybe she simply heard someone say, there's a guy doing things only God can do. And he's coming over on a boat. Well, she comes and she inserts herself into this crowd. And as they're walking to address, heal, enter into the home where a little girl is sick and dying, she reaches up and touches his cloak. And scripture says that immediately the flow of blood was dried up. The Greek is so good there, immediately the fountain of blood was dried up and she knew in her body that she was cured. It was instantaneous, pop, 12 years, gone. Your face, someone comes, touches it, restored. She's healed. She is made well. And I think it's likely that for an instant, her intent was simply to touch, turn, and walk away. Healed a new life, but something very different happens. Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garment? His disciples, they say to him, Lord, come on, you see the crowd pressing in on you and you say, who touched me? And he looks around to see the woman who had done this. Now, we want to be really, really clear here. The woman did not sneak a miracle from Jesus, right? She didn't sneak up and sneak behind him and sneak a miracle and run away. Jesus' miracles throughout all of Scripture, his healing is always intentional and it is always purposeful. He knows the hearts, he knows the minds of the people that he encounters, and the woman is no different. He knows that he has an encounter with her, a kairos, a God time, an appointed time that's gonna happen right then and right there on the way to Jairus' house. So scripture says that he waits and he turns and he says, who touched my garments? He knows that he has healed her and he asks an intentional, specific question directed only to one person, not to the disciples, not to the crowd, but to this one woman who touched me. I know the poor disciples, right? We, we get this, we understand. They oftentimes don't see the subtext of what's happening with Jesus' interactions with people. The urgency of this little girl who's dying, but Jesus is meeting this woman. And the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Oh, this is so sweet. Sit in this for just a second, right? She was going to slip away, I think at least. Instead, Jesus says, who is this? The voice of the incarnate Son of God speaking directly to her, who touched me? 
Is it possible that she heard, even in the question, who touched me, an invitation to come? And she comes, and Scripture says that she fell down before him and told him the whole truth, fearing and trembling. Right? The fearing and the trembling. She's encountered the power of God. She's encountered Jesus Christ. She's been healed by that which only God can do. And I think she was probably afraid. I'm so sorry. I had no right. I've suffered so long and I'm so desperate. But she comes to his feet and she tells him the whole story and what that would have been like to hear that woman's whole story. What did she share? How much of her story? All I can think is that she simply laid her heart before Jesus, right? She was truly vulnerable. Vulnerable, meaning uh, able to be hurt. She opened her heart before the Messiah. And then Jesus says this to her. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be cured of your disease. See, I think she was, was ready and willing to simply accept the gift of being healed. But Jesus has so much more for her. He says, daughter, the only time in all of the gospels that it refers to any woman with that phrase, daughter, I see you. I know you. I want you to know me. And I want you to understand our relationship. Daughter, I see you. And I want you to know this. Your faith has made you well. It was commonplace in uh, the ancient Near East, first century. It was commonplace to think that the power of a prophet was also transferred to his clothes, right? She may very well have this almost superstitious uh, commingling with her faith, right? She believes that Jesus has the power, but she touches his garments and he says, wait, I just want you to be very crystal clear about this. It is not superstition that has made you well. It is your faith in me that has made you well. Physical and spiritual, not by superstition, and it's not magic. Now, now you can go in peace, go in shalom, true completeness and wholeness of person that can happen only, only by the encounter in the hand of the living God. Now, it's not an accident that this story happens where it does. Remember, the beginning, and we're, gonna, we're not really going to actually look at the end. But this story is sandwiched in another story about a human, a human father and his human daughter. And here, we're getting a picture of the incarnate Son of God and his human daughter. Daughter, go in peace and be cured of your disease. Friends, we might be tempted as followers of Jesus, as Christians in this Christian place and in the culture that we have the privilege to inhabit and be a part of, we may be tempted to settle for the gifts of Jesus as transactional. My faith for eternity in heaven. 
but the gifts of Jesus are always inherently relational. Father and daughter, father and son, the most precious of relationships. Imagine this. Imagine being born into a family, super wealthy family, but your parents also happen to be the kindest, wisest, most loving, most encouraging people in the whole world. And you know that there's this inheritance that's waiting. And you spend your whole life just simply waiting for the inheritance and never actually getting to know your parents. And the crazy thing about this inheritance is it doesn't come to you when they die. It comes to you when you die. See where I'm going there? Daniel said, it's Jesus, the hidden one. But Jesus says, I'm the knowable one because I am the with you one. Following the cross, following his resurrection, when he's there before the apostles, he's about to ascend into heaven and be seated at the right hand of God where he's going to intercede for us. He's going to send the Holy Spirit to come and indwell us and create the church. He says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. He's not the hidden one. He's the knowable one because he is the with us one. That woman that Jesus told, go now and live in peace. She was going to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit and have an intimacy of relationship that she never could have had with him while he was still on earth and before he had gone to the cross. So if God is not the hidden one, if you feel like God is the hidden one, it's okay. But he is not. He is the knowable one. How do we know him as such? Like, how do we on a practical daily basis, how do we experience the risen Christ as the knowable one and not the hidden one? Imagine a three-legged stool. And one of those legs is the living word of God. It's why you could read this same story a hundred days in a row and be touched by it differently because the word of God is living and alive. It speaks to our hearts. It transforms us. It hits us in different ways at different times. The spirit of God reveals the things we need to see when we need to see them. The living word of God is one, one leg of that stool. Prayer. Such a mysterious thing, right? And such a hard thing. But it doesn't have to be. Our prayers, the prayers of saints who've gone before us, the prayers in the Psalms and the prayers in Scripture, that which actually unites us to the risen Christ as he takes our insufficient prayers and presents them before the Father, interceding on our behalf, praying in our weakness, praying in our need, and actually encountering Jesus there. And then the third, the third kind of leg of that stool, through the love of our spirit indwelt brothers and sisters, through the church, through our brothers and sisters knit together by the blood of Jesus. And what's so beautiful is that stool, imagine it's a pretty big stool that you can sit down on 
at different times and different seasons of your life, those, weight, those legs are going to bear different weight at different times. This summer, I've shared with some of you, this summer I was, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. Um, and like six weeks ago, I had my prostate removed. And I found that um, uh, reading the Word was not easy for me. Um, somebody had given me a book on prayer that was actually deeply helpful, but the thing that sustained me and carried me and continues to, and I still marvel at it, was I experienced the knowable one. I experienced the intimacy of Jesus Christ through my brothers and sisters who were praying for me when I couldn't and didn't know how to do it well. They were texting me, sending me letters, calling me, and never once did I feel alone. Daniel, in that room, with 12 people, he experienced the knowable one through the love of his brothers and sisters. So, homecoming, be reminded, you are seen by Jesus and truly known by him. You are loved by Jesus as son, as daughter. You are beckoned by Jesus to come and know the peace that only he can give. Because remember, he is not the hidden one. He is the knowable one. Amen?